We're going to continue walking through the Lord's Prayer here. Uh, prayers again, just just asking God. And often we, you know, we don't know what to ask God. Uh, you know, what should I ask God for? What sort of things do I come to Him? We sometimes feel bad for for asking at all, asking for anything, or afraid we're afraid that we're going to ask for the wrong thing. And so there's this timidity to prayer. And so the Lord's Prayer is, is Jesus's list on what things to ask of God. You got seven requests here in the Lord's Prayer. Seven requests to bring to God to bring to your heavenly father. So if you're ever not sure, like, what should I ask God? What should I pray about? Here's a good list. And as we've seen, as we're going through that list, it's a, it's a short list. You could pray this prayer in seven seconds, uh, 10 seconds, if you're being, you know, very pietistic and really taking your time. Uh, but it's filled with biblical imagery, metaphors, pulling you back through all sorts of scripture. And so just as we've walked through, we saw that the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer are that Godward focus. They are things we're asking for God's sake. So, you know, holify your name, uh, come your kingdom, done be your will, uh, those things. That's what we're asking God to do for his own sake. And now we get to the, the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the second table, so to speak. And we get these usward prayers, these prayers that are focused around, again, not me, but focused around us and our life together as a body of believers in the midst of a greater body that is Christ's church, uh, asking things now, not necessarily for God's sake, not as if these things aren't, but asking things for our sake. This is what we need. Father, this is what we would ask from you. And so we just finished looking at asking God for our daily bread. And we looked at just the deep, rich uh, biblical imagery found in that request that if Jesus were to have said, uh, give us this day our bread, that would have been a deep theological statement with lots of rich verses to pull from. Uh, and we saw that it's even, it's even deeper than that as we broke down what it meant to get our, our daily bread. And like we saw last week, what it means to ask God for this daily bread this day. And so now we're going to go to our next request. So let's stand just in the honor of reading God's word. Uh, let's stand uh, and we'll start in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. And we'll read through verse 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we do ask uh, Father, that you would teach us from your word today, that you would feed us with that bread that is needful for us, that, Father, you would grow us, sustain us, uh, that, Father, this bread would remind us of the bread of Christ that is our life, and, Father, that we would worship you, the one who has provided us everything, every good and perfect thing that comes from your hand. And, Father, we ask today that you would help us to understand your word. We admit, Father, that we are often callous to your word. Uh, we are sometimes impertinent. Uh, we are intentionally ignorant. We are slow. So Father, help us today to be quick to hear, uh, to be quick to listen and to obey that we might glorify you in how we treat your word and how we treat your Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
All right, so here we are looking at this second request in this, this second table in our, you know, our us word prayer request, and it is forgive us our debts. And I think, you know, what an appropriate time to be talking about forgiveness and our debts as we are moving uh, toward Easter. Of course, we know that talking about forgiveness and our debts is appropriate all year long uh, because this is this is our life. So what what should we be praying? What should we be asking God for in our lives? What sorts of things? You know, three things to ask God for his own sake, four things to ask for our sake. What does Jesus give us of all the things we could pray for? He says here, forgive us our debts. What does that mean? What does it mean when we come and we say, God, forgive us our debts? What are we asking God? What is forgiveness? What is that? We're asking God to do something. We need to know what it is we're asking him to do. And why do we need to be forgiven? What are our debts? And and just a a disclaimer here. uh, I'm going to get into the specifics of of how this particular prayer is prayed by uh, unbelievers versus believers, you know, lost versus, versus Christians, uh, because they're both told to pray uh, this prayer. They're both need, both of these, both groups need to be forgiven. So sometimes as Christians, we can look at this and go, well, why am I asking God to forgive me if I've already been forgiven? Uh, so we're going to walk through some of that in the coming weeks. So the, but the general truth that we're going to start out with, the truth of, of our debt, of forgiveness, those remain true no matter what state you're in, lost or, or saved, again, believer or unbeliever. Where you are in the equation of that forgiven and your debts might differ, but sin still remains a grievous debt and forgiveness still remains our only hope. That's how the Bible describes our debt and what our forgiveness is. So let's begin by looking at, we'll look at what is forgiveness, what is debt, and we're going to start out with the issue of debt. We're going to start, we're going to go total Dave Ramsey here. No, we're going to start out with the issue of debt. What does it mean that we are in debt? Uh, The reason I want to begin with the question of debt, if he says, forgive us our debts, is not because of some, you know, tricky Greek question. It actually begins with the word debt or anything like that. It's just that in order, I think in order to, we've got to understand what our debt is if we're fully going to understand and appreciate when that debt is forgiven. In other words, if I talk to you about forgiveness... That's, that's going to be great, but and then later show you just how great that debt was. It's going to miss some of the punch of when we're talking about forgiveness. So what we're going to do is we're going to start out talking about what our debt is and how great that debt is so that when we talk about that we're asking God to forgive us of that debt, we'll see just how great a request that is and how great his answer is in, uh, in Jesus Christ. So, so what is our debt? When Jesus says here, uh, you know, forgive us our debts, what is he talking about? Is this, you know, Jesus, you know, trying to turn into that, you know, let's just forgive all college debt. And, and so Jesus is taking sort of that approach. You should forgive our debts. Is this talking about monetary debts? What is he talking about here when he says forgive our debts? In order to, to understand what he's talking about, turn to Luke 11. Luke 11 is going to help us understand what he means by forgive us our debts. Luke 11 is, again, the, the, the second time that the Lord teaches on the Lord's Prayer when the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And here we're going to see Luke 11, starting in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
and lead us not into temptation. So what we can see here, when you take Matthew and Luke and Jesus, you know, both those prayers and, and put them together, is that our debt, what is our debt? Our debt is caused by our sin. Our debt is caused by our sin. It is our sin that makes us indebted. As Jesus says there, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those, everyone who is indebted to us. You compare those two prayers, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debt. It becomes very clear that those two have to be connected in, in some way. And Jesus isn't, you know, changing the, you know, what we're asking God to forgive us of in, in Matthew and then, and then it's different in Luke. These two are paired together. And, and it is actually not a crazy pairing that Jesus is doing. Uh, the Aramaic word for debt, uh, or the Aramaic word for sin was actually the, their word for debt. Uh, and so in, in the Aramaic, when Jesus is giving this prayer, it would have been very, it would have been very common to speak about sin as debt because the, the two words in Aramaic were, were like that. So it's not like Matthew is sort of, you know, in Matthew's prayer, we're focusing on indebtedness. And then uh, in Luke, when Jesus is teaching the prayer, he's focusing uh, on sin. They're both talking about the same thing. Forgive us what we owe. Forgive us our sins. But why is sin described as a debt? Why is sin described as a debt? How is sin a debt? Well, the couple of reasons sin is described as a debt. One is that it just fits. A debt, you, 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 a debt is either owing someone something uh, that, that you've taken from them and, and you haven't paid them back yet, or a debt is not giving to someone something that they deserved, right? Someone deserves something, you didn't give that to them, you are indebted to them for not giving them what they deserve. And so the Bible actually compares sin to a debt that, that, that God uh, deserves certain things from us and we have not given those to God and so we are indebted to him. You get Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is a great uh, story, a parable about how much we are indebted to God and our, our in indebtedness to the Lord. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? which seems like this is a often question in our household. How often does my brother sin? Uh, as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought in to him who owed him ten thousand talents that word that word owed there in, in verse 24 is the same word as the word debt in in Matthew 6 in that prayer in Matthew 6 it's the same word so here we are just a, a little bit further down uh in Matthew you have the same word uh this person owes me this person is indebted to me you you so you could say you, you know one one was brought to him who was indebted to him for ten thousand uh talents so so sin is a Debt. Here, God is pictured as a king and his servants uh, owed him a debt. They were indebted to him. So how is sin a debt? Well, sin is what makes us indebted to God. Sin, it is our sinfulness that has accrued our debt. Sin is called a debt because we owed God something and we did not pay it. We owed God and we did not give him what he was owed. Well, what did we owe? We owe to God our perfect obedience. 
is what we, I mean, he is our creator. He's our sustainer. The, the one who gave us life, the one who breathes life into us, the one who keeps us living. We owe to him our allegiance, our, our obedience, our devotion, our glory. He, he has owed all of that and owed that perfectly for every second of our existence. But what's the problem? Okay, God's owed that. God, he's my creator. He's my sustainer. I'm, not, I'm just giving him that, right? What is the problem? What does is, what is Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so instead of what we owe to God, we have sinned and fallen short of what we owe. We've, we, we don't get the glory that he deserves from us. We do not give him the glory that we should be as his image bearers. We mar his image. God blesses us in all creation, making us his image bearers. And instead we take that and we, and we mar it with our sin. We muddy it up. We defile it. His image. Romans 3.10, just a little bit before that, tells us there is none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. It's funny, this was a passage describing the nation of Israel. And here Paul says, yeah, this really describes the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. This is a situation. This isn't just bad Israel. This is what everybody's like. We were created by a righteous God. And yet we refuse to live according to what he says. We will not live righteously. We will not do the right thing. We will not live justly. Not only do we refuse to do it, we don't even seek him. We're not even, it's just like, it's like our image bearer gives us, that he creates us and we're like, I don't really need, I don't really care about your instructions for how I should live. I don't care what your image is supposed to look like. I want to live the way I want to live. We don't, we don't seek him. We turn from him. So not only are we not seeking him, we turn from him. This is, this is how, our, how our sin is making that debt. God makes us. He creates us, sustains us. Here we are. We should be living for his glory. Instead, we don't seek him. We turn away from him and we don't live righteously. Romans 1 describes it this way. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, animals, creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here Paul says, look, we, we know, we know our creator, every single one of us. We know our creator. And he has not only taught us about himself, he's taught us his law, and yet we refuse to honor him. Refuse to pay him what he is owed. Because we know what is true. And we exchange it for life. We know him and we know his glory. And we exchange it for a lie. And instead of, of worshiping him, we, we, we basically worship anything but him. So our creator makes us. We owe him our devotion. We owe him our perfect obedience. We owe him our, our glory. Instead, we refuse to seek him. We ignore him. We try and exchange him 
we sin. And that means we have not given him what he deserves. And since we did not pay what we owed, we now have a debt. And so that's why sin can be spoken of as a debt, because it just fits. It just makes sense to see sin as bringing a debt. Another reason that sin is called a debt is, is, is because it's, it's what we have earned, one. It's what we have worked toward. It's, what we are, it's not just what we are. It's not just not giving God what he is owed. Sin is a debt. Because it's what we've worked, it's what we're owed. In other words, forgive us our debts is asking God, forgive us what we have earned. Romans 4.4 talks about it in this way. It says, no one, uh, now, now to the one who works, his wages are counted to him as a, not as a gift, but as his due. That word due there is the same word as debt, but as his debt. At what he's owed. Which as happens in Romans 4 4. Well, what does it say in Romans 6? What is the wage that sin earns? Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. We need to be forgiven of our debts because what we've earned, what is due to us, is death. That's why sin and and debt are tied together. Our sin is is to do what is not right for us to do. To not give God what he is owed. So we see now why Jesus says that that debts is an an appropriate synonym for for sin. So, So... we, we know that we owe God, we have a debt to him. So that's the first thing. We got to understand that when Jesus says we have a debt, we can go, he's right. I don't want any of us in this prayer to go, I think this prayer about forgiving debts is for those bad people out there. You know, those other people, you know, who probably have, you know, different bumper stickers on their cars than I do, uh, or who watch a different news station or whatever it is. Uh, I think by now no one's watching the news, right? We've all just given up on that. That thing's dead. Uh, and often that's what happens. We, 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 what I don't want us to do is any of us to look at this and say, debts is not my problem. So I don't need to ask God to forgive me my debts. I, I've never had any debts. I have, I have kept all these things from my youth, uh, sort of thing. I don't want any of us doing that, right? I don't want any of us forgetting about, you know, coveting, like the rich young ruler did. And then Jesus is like, sell all you got. He's like, okay, now we've got a problem. I want us to realize, that's me. I have not lived every day for God's glory. I've not lived every moment of every day devoted to him, living for him. I've done what Romans 1 says. I've lived for me rather than him. I have a debt. So I want us to understand that any sin in your life is is made you indebted to God. And and now what I want us to see, now that we know we're indebted to him, I want us to see just how bad is that debt. Okay, so we're going to spend probably a lot of time talking about this. I don't want to give a weak number, uh, W-E-E-K number. because the Bi- I want us to see just how, just how grievous our sin is. You say, why, why? In other words, so, so we're asking God to forgive us our debts, but why should it bother us that we have debts? 
I mean, we, we, we unfortunately live in a culture that has no problem accruing debts. In, in fact, in order to get new debts, sometimes you have to have old debts. They're like, we can't, we can't loan you any money until you, until you borrow money from someone else. And it's like, oh, man, you've got to borrow from two people to borrow from one. Uh, we're, a, we're a nation that loves debt. So why, why should we care about God forgiving our debt? Surely that's what he'll do, right? My debt's not a big deal. I want you to see just how big of a debt we're talking about. I want us to understand how big your debt is. Either for one reason, either because you are not a believer and you're thinking, ah, I've been at church enough that maybe when I get to heaven, this good that I've done will, will maybe be just a little bit better than the debt that I owed. I want you to see there's no way. And God's the one who tells you there's no way, by the way. Or that you're a Christian, you've been a Christian so long, you're, you're living in righteousness, you're, you're trying to walk blamelessly, and you've forgotten the debt that sin is. You've forgotten what Christ has done for you. And that debt, because it has seemed so far, or when you got saved or whatever, all these terms that we you know, use, you look back and it, it, it's back there. It's no longer like the sword of Damocles that was what's hanging over your head. I don't want us to forget just how great our debt was that Christ forgave. So, so why should it bother us that we're in debt? Why, why, why should it bother us that, that we owe Christ or owe the Father? We will see that one of the reasons Jesus brings up our debt is that our debt to God is a damnable problem with eternal consequences. And so as we've been to look at, we look at our, our debt. What is the problem of our debt? The first thing we're going to see is our debt is an infinite debt. Okay, we're going to have probably about nine of these. We're going to get one today. Uh, our debt is an infinite debt. So why is debt such a big issue? Why, is, why of all the things Jesus could have us pray, does he ask for, us to, for, for God to forgive us of our debt? Why is that a foundational prayer? Because, because this debt is a big problem. The Bible's going to show us how big of a problem. And the first thing we're going to see is our debt is an infinite debt. I mean, it'd be, one, it'd be one thing if we owed God and we owed him like a manageable sum. Right? If, if I owe Zachary a dollar, Zach's like, here's a do- I was going to say buy a pop with it, but you couldn't even do that anymore. Uh, here's a dollar. Go collect a few more and you can buy a pop. Uh, if I owe, you know, Zachary a small, I'm, not gonna, I'm probably not going to fret about it a lot. Like, oh, how am I going to do that? I mean, you know, wh- what's going to happen? Should I sell the car? Should I, you know, should we, should we go into indentured servitude? Like, what should we do? Like, there's not going to be that fear because it's a, it's a manageable sum. But the problem with our sin is that sin doesn't create a small debt. Sin creates an infinite debt. The one that where if you, you know, I remember one time, uh, I remember this was, so this is why you should never, maybe never entrust funds to a young Leslie and a young Chris. I remember one time, uh, one, Leslie used to think that if you had the checks, that meant you had the cash in the bank. And I don't know how she thought that, but she would write checks and assume since the check was in the checkbook, it must mean that there was cash in the bank. I don't know why that, how that happened. But I remember one time I was, you know, a young man uh, living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, as they say. 
Uh, and the paychecks at Albertson's Groceries were not that, not as large as they, I'm sure they are now. I'm sure now, you know, 16-year-old me would be very happy with what I could make at, you know, second groceries. But I, I remember pulling up my, uh, getting my bank statement in the mail and it being larger than I thought it was. I was so excited because I thought it was going to be really tight. Uh, and then as I was looking, I saw that the number was bigger because the thing on the left of it was a negative sign. Uh, and then and every check that I had written since it had gone below the zero was adding a penalty plus. So it was like I was ma- man, I was making twenty five dollars several times a day. Why? Because I was I was writing hot checks. I didn't realize it. I was 16. Don't give a 16 year old a checkbook. Uh, and anyway, I remember looking at it going, wow, that's great. You and I because the number was getting bigger. You and I, if we were to pull up our indebtedness to God. And we'd pull up our, our, our bank account and what we owed. The, the, the number, would you, the, the screen would fill with the zeros. It would, not, it would be a sum that, 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 that it, would, it, would, it would fry the internet to try and pull up. The page could not load all that we owe to him. Why does sin bring with it an infinite debt? Because the measure of the debt is directly proportional to the one that you have wronged. Now, if I, if I were to spill uh, a drink on one of my children's drawings that they make me, um, I'm, I might get some tears. But if I were to spill a drink on like the, the Mona Lisa, right? Be walking around France with a bunch of other Americans just hanging out. Uh, and if I were to spill my, I mean, it would be international headlines, right? American. It would start out with that, right? That'd be the first word. American spills drink on, on Mona Lisa. Um, well, and the same thing is true since, since God is infinitely majestic. Our sin is then infinitely grievous, and, and, and in fact, I think you to be double problems. But one of the one of the reasons is if if we don't see our sin as as infinitely heinous, it, it's not because we haven't seen sin for what it is, but because we haven't seen God for who He is. Because when we have a clear understanding of the holiness of God. We'll see our sin, no matter what it is, and look at that sin and say, hopeless. My debt is too great to deal with that. Because I've sinned against God. In fact, we see this. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 through 5. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died... I, as Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said... Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So here, we had Isaiah. You had a prophet, you got a prophet of God, a godly man, a righteous man. When he sees God and sees his holiness and his glory, what is that righteous man's response? What is that prophet's response to seeing, to seeing God? This isn't, this isn't Balaam walking into the throne room of the Lord. And yet, when, when he sees God and his holiness, what's, what does he say? I'm dead. I'm dead. Woe is me. Hopeless. Why? Because my sin is too great. And I've seen him. And it's when he sees him that he realizes just how great his sin is. So sin is infinite because it is against an infinitely glorious God. It is infinite because of whom we've sinned against. We can understand sin's infinite debt, not just by who we've wronged, but also by how we've wronged him. Let's go back, go back to Romans 1. What did, what did Romans 1 say that we're trying to do in our sin? So uh, sin is infinite because we've sinned against God, but it's also infinite in, in what we did. Right? This isn't that, you know, we walked into the throne room of God and we didn't understand, you know, like some sort of English monarchical, like, uh, and I'm supposed to bow, and then I, you know, you, you curtsy, or, you know, and, I, and we did that wrong and that messed it up. That's not what happens. This is not accidental. Our sin against God is not, we're not accidentally sinning against the a glorious creator. So what did it say in Romans 1? Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. It's the exact opposite of Isaiah. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Birds, animals, creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped. And served, slaved for, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we do not honor him. We do not thank him. Instead, we try and exchange him. I mean, so when we sin, when we sin, we're not just trying to dethrone God. When we sin, we're trying to de-God him. Sin is at its heart an infinite offense. You're not just failing to give God glory. You're wanting him to not exist. You're wanting to damn him. You're wanting to be rid of him. When we sin. So it's not just that we've wronged unintentionally, accidentally, or a little foible that we've done against the holy God. We've committed an infinite offense. And so it carries with it an infinite debt. And so Jesus, right, meek, mild, humble Jesus, okay with everything, with everybody. Jesus makes a point of telling us, hey, your debt is infinite. So it does in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, that passage was got in verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Look at what he says there. 
says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often uh, will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I mean, look at that. Okay, so what's going on? So Peter asked Jesus about having to forgive. You know, how often do I have to give, forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ? How many times do I have to keep doing that? You know, especially with this person. You know, can I forgive him seven times? You know, seven times in a day. You know, 77 times. And that's Jesus' answer in, in saying you've got to do it 77 times. is like, let me tell you about this king. And he compares God to a king and, and compares us to servants with a debt. A debt we owe to that king. We've got a debt to him. And how much is our debt for? 10,000 talents. <gasps> now, we don't have any idea how much that is, right? If you read 10,000 talents, none of us is going, wow, 10,000 talents. That, because we don't have, most of us don't have any idea what 10,000, I remember when we got to Tanzania and it was like, Ralph was like, give him, give him $500. We were exchanging money. We weren't just giving people $500. Uh, sometimes if it was the police, we might have to do that. But we're giving, we're giving, we're exchanging our money. I remember I gave him $500 and they gave me back a million Tanzanian shillings. And I remember being like, and when I say million, I mean, not like they had like a million dollar bill. I'm talking like, fat stacks of kids that you're having to like roll up and I'm like are we gonna sell drugs like I'm like shoving it I feel like a mule like I'm trying to tuck it into different parts of you know and and you're afraid someone so you're walking like this you know afraid that someone's gonna say but it was if someone had said a million shillings what's a million shillings and that's how we can feel about you know 10,000 talents what is this like a few hundred dollars what is 10,000 talents well, to answer that, we have to find out what is actually going on here. And we're going to see that what Jesus is saying is you owe, he owed an infinite sum. So, for example, like what is, we find out just what is a talent? A talent, and sometimes people will put a talent was worth a little. A talent was actually in that time the highest unit of money possible. There was no unit of money higher than a talent. It was the highest unit of money you could have. So the highest, it was one talent was equal to about 6,000 days wages. Or for 6,000 days, I'll give you a talent. One talent. And so 10,000 of those would be astronomical. 10,000 of those talents. And, 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 and I, don't, and I don't even love, I don't, I don't love the translation 10,000. Because it implies that when you read it, you're going to see the, in the Greek the word for 10, which they have, and the word for 1,000, which they have. And that's actually not the case. What we actually have there for 10,000 is actually got one word in the Greek, murion. And that is, just, that is just a word that means basically an unthinkable number. It didn't have any solid definition. It just meant, so in other words, what it would be like, I remember when I was a kid, I would say, I went up, mom, dad, there are like a bajillion flies out there. Like my parents were never like, wow, so bajillion, does that have nine zeros or 12? Uh, how, exactly how many flies are there? 
A bajillion was just a word that meant, I mean, it wasn't an exact number. It just meant there's a ton. There's like basically infinite amount of flies out there. There's a bajillion of them. It wasn't an exact number, and neither is this word here for 10,000. It's not the word for 10. It's not the word for 10 and the word for 1,000. It's just this word, myrion, myrion talents, a myriad of talents. It just means a huge, what you actually have, if you look at it, is you've got the highest, this, I mean, myrion is the highest number you can express in the Greek. The highest single number you can express is that word. So what we've got in this is the highest unit of money multiplied by the single highest number possible. And that's really the point, isn't it? It's an unthinkable thing. You take the most expensive thing and you multiply it by the biggest number you can imagine. That's what he owed. So he's telling this story. No one was sitting and computing how much 10,000 talents was. No one was going, well, that's 6,000 days wages. No one was doing that. It was just like Jesus was saying an unthinkable number. The, the, uh, 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 a coin that you have never seen in your life multiplied by a number you can't even count to. Just to, just to get an idea of, of the infinite level of the sum, if 10,000 talents even was a real, that would, be, that would be more money than was circulating in all of Palestine at that time. If, if, if a debtor were to sell himself, his family, his stuff, still with no way of touching this debt, highest amount, highest thing times the highest number, that's what we owed to God. That, was, that is what sin is. That is the debt that comes with, with sin. Take the most expensive thing and multiply it by the biggest number. That's what you owed God, according to Jesus. So one of the problems of, of our sin debt is that our sin is an infinite number. So if we're going to understand our, our prayer for forgiveness, if, if we're going to understand what we're asking God to do when we say, God, forgive us our debts, if we want to understand that properly and what we are daring to ask him to do, we've got to understand just how grievous every single sin we commit is. We have to understand what we're being forgiven of. And that means we have to understand just how dangerous our debt is. And God's answer from the mouth of Christ, it's more than you can even imagine. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment. We don't want to be arrogant or quick with the word of God. We want to hear it and we want to meditate on it. We want to take a moment to just think about what have I heard? What is God telling me to do in his, in his word? If I am worshiping him, if we are here to bring him glory, right? We don't want to, we don't want to do the inglorious thing that we read about in Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 6. We don't want to do that. No, we take a moment to ponder what God's word has said. I mean, do you, do, you ever, do you ever think about, do you ever think about what your sin was, what, what sin is? It's, it's important for us Christians 
to remember what sin is. To remember that still so that, so that we might hate it. That, that we might fear it. Sin is a rebellion against God. It is a spitting in the face of our creator. It is an, it is an attempted coup. It, it, it's, it is a treasonous rebellion against the one who brought us life. It is attempting to end out. It is wishing that our God did not exist. Or that we were God. And it brings, it brings with it a debt. Every sin brings with it that debt, that obligation. A penalty that must be paid. How big of a debt is, is our sin? What did God show us? The amount we owe God for what we've done is almost childish. To try and, it, it, is, it is silly, it is almost silly to sin against the grievous God and go, yeah, but how much do I owe you? That is impertinence. Yeah, but how much, as if there was any way we could pay back that debt. And so Christ tells us it's a number so high, it is almost as if it is an imaginary number. That is how much your sin is. You want to know how much you owe? Take the most expensive thing you can think of and multiply it by the highest number you can imagine. That's what you owe your God. That's the debt. I I want us to see. I want us to see how vast the problem of sin is. For, for one, because I, I want us to see, I want us to see the desperate straits of those people out there. Of the people who are today not giving to God the glory that he deserves. Who are today mocking the worship of the one true God. Or who are just sleeping and waiting for football or basketball to come on. They have an infinite debt hanging over their heads. And we can't be bothered to try and lift their burden like ours was lifted. Christ is the savior of the world. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world And we are so selfishly content to just sit here and be happy that he took away our debt. I want us to see the grievous nature of sin so that we might be fearful for those image bearers of God out there who are are continuing to mar his image and mock his image. And I don't, I want us to see, and Christ came to save the world and to go out and preach the gospel that that burden that hangs over, they don't even recognize right now. They don't even see, they don't even care about. But we'll damn them. I want us to see that so that we might hate it for them and bring to them the remedy. Bring to them the cross. Preach to them 
about Christ. And guys, we're not doing that by just sitting in here today. Our great evangelism is not showing people how glorious God is by how many cars are sitting in a parking lot. The desperate straits of the people out there, the immense nature of their sin will make it so if we have people that we love, that we truly care for, I don't know how in the world we stop talking to them about their sin. I'm going to talk about starting to talk to them about their sin. How do we stop? If we truly believe what Christ said, that hanging over their head is this debt, hanging over this, this, this person, this sister that you love, this, this son that you love, this daughter, hanging over their head is this debt, and we think we can just ignore it and everything's going to be fine for them? Do we hope that maybe, maybe their debt isn't that much? We know better. I want us to see how desperate the world is out there so we might bring to them the great glory that is Christ who forgives even sins of an infinite level. But I also want us to see the problem with sin because I don't want us to even consider playing with sin. I want us to hate sin like we hate a hot oven. I want us to see sin and the grievous nature of it so that we don't even say, oh, it's just, you know, like a, it's a little white lie. <laughs> it's a little this, just a little that. It's not one of these big sins. I want us to see sin for how heinous it is so that we wouldn't even think about letting that word come off our lips. So that we wouldn't let that thought stay in our heads and ruminate for a while. But as long as I'm not doing anything, I'm okay. That we would not get anywhere near sin because we realize how dangerous it is. And I want us to see the great problem of sin so that we can be reminded of what Christ did for us. A small debt requires a small redeemer. But if our debt is so vast, so must our forgiveness be vast. So must the work of Christ be. Be vast. So must the glory of Christ be as big, bigger than even our sin because his glory is so big, it covers not just the debt that we owed, but the debt that all of his sheep owe for all of their sins. This infinite debt is what God has forgiven you in Christ. I want you to see your debt as infinite so that you will see your Savior as infinitely glorious. Father, as we come to you today, God, I have no, how, how can I call you Father? How? I, who who once lived in rebellion against you, Futile in my thing, exchanging you for the lie, even though you had, had taught me about yourself and had taught me your law and knew who you were and I, I ran from it, I did not seek you. And we are a group of people here who, who were living out Romans 1, who had, an, who had infinite debt upon infinite debt attached to our souls. And You sent your son to die in our place so that we might be forgiven that infinite debt. And you adopt us as your children 
turning our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, causing us to walk in your ways. Be careful to keep your commandments. Father, you do that. You are glorious. And Father, I, don't, I can't imagine. How can we ever leave gathering together to talk about your glory? How can we ever stop thinking about you? May our worship overflow from this place. May it run like rivers run out of the temple till it fills the world with your glory. Because you deserve it. You deserve it for an infinite number of reasons. But one of those reasons is you have forgiven us of our infinite debt. You place that on your son for us. Thank you, Father. May we live for you all of our days. And may we proclaim you and your glory till the day we stand before you in eternity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.